Well, it's an honor and a joy to be here with you this morning. Uh, as we are approaching Reformation Day here in the coming weeks, um, I want to share with you a uh, look into the doctrine of sola scriptura, which is one of the five solas of the Reformation. Um, and I think it's really the keystone for the Reformation. All other things came from the Word of God. That is the Reformation of the church, going back to the divine truths that we have in our Bibles. And so to begin this morning, I want us to just simply grab the Word of God, to hold it in our hands, and to recognize what we have before us. Um, I think in our context, it's easy to see, well, I go to a store and I, I can purchase this Bible. You know, you go anywhere, you can on your phone, you can download a Bible. I mean, even airports, I think, are still selling Bibles in the gift shop areas. And it's just so readily available to us. Um, but this has not always been that way. And I think it's easy to become kind of just uh, putting it off to the side that it's so readily available to us. Um, but what we have in our hands, what we have right here is the Word of God. You are holding perfection. God breathed Scripture. It's a beautiful thing that we get to hold that, get to cherish that and treasure that in our hearts. What we have in our hands is the very Word of the living God. This book has been so precious to the saints throughout the millennia that many have died to protect it. Many have died to publish it. I want to begin this morning with a, a quick story of a man named William Tyndale. Uh, William Tyndale was from England, and he was alive back in uh, the 1500s. Uh, William Tyndale is considered today as the father of the English Bible. Uh, and if you are uh, familiar with the King James Version, if that's the one you choose, 90% of the King James Bible was translated from when William Tyndale's Bible. Uh, William Tyndale strived to translate from the Latin into the English so that the common man could have what we have here with us this morning. That we could have access to the scriptures, that we could read and understand it. He wanted to bring the Bible into the common man's language. Well, William Tyndall was met with some opposition as the Roman Catholic Church did not like this. Um, neither did the King of England at the time, Henry VIII. And so they sought out to get Tyndale, and they sent men to find Tyndale. And he was subsequently captured, and he was put on trial for heresy, for translating the Bible into the English language that we have before us this morning. And after months of living in a dungeon, Tyndale was then found guilty of this crime of heresy. And he was sentenced to excommunication, followed by death. And so Tyndale was taken and he was dragged into the town. As he was dragged into town, they had him dressed in his priestly garments. And the Roman Catholic Church then proceeded to slash each of his hands as a symbolic removal of the anointing oil that had been placed on his hands. They then placed the Lord's suppers into his hand and removed it as a sign of removing him from the covenant in the Catholic Church. Then finally, they stripped him of his robes 
in his priestly attire, and they dressed him in to the, uh, the clothes of a common man. And at this point, it, signaled, it signified that Tyndale was now excommunicated from the Roman Catholic Church. So at this point, Tyndale is excommunicated. He's sent back into a dungeon for another few months, and he is then taken out by the state. So the Roman Catholic Church has excommunicated him. Now the state wants their chance at him. Tyndale is then paraded out and marched to his death. And it's interesting and, and really amazing that as he's being led to his slaughter, Tyndale could be heard echoing a prayer, Lord, open the King of England's eyes. And what awaited Tyndale was a large stake and a pile of wood. He was first strangled to death, and then he was then burned at that very stake. William Tyndale would go down as a martyr and as a, uh, a saint that we can look to and be grateful for that the Lord used him to give us an English translation. That because of his martyrdom and because of his work and his faithfulness to the gospel, we now, the common people, have access to the word of God. So again, what we have in our hands this morning, the Bible, is something so precious that death has no sting to those who would cling to what's the words that are found in it. What we have here is the word of God given to us, preserved by God's sovereignty, but also through the sovereign hand of him and the people he's used to keep it. We have the perfect, inerrant word of the living God before us. And so this morning, I want us to look at this doctrine, the doctrine of sola scriptura, which translated means the Bible alone. The sola scriptura is, again, one of five solas. We have sola scriptura, sola fide, sola gratia, solus Christus, and soli deo gloria, which simply translated as the scripture alone. And then we are saved by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. Sola Scriptura being the very reference point for which the rest of those things flow. Sola Scriptura is the teaching that God's word is the sole infallible rule of faith for the body of Christ, for us, those of us here this morning. In short, this is a doctrine that we must hold to, to be biblically orthodox. So the Bible is the Word of God, and it contains everything necessary for our life with Christ. It is absolutely and eternally true. Because it is the Word of God, its very nature attests to its validity and truthfulness. Because God cannot lie, His Word is true. And so that is what we have in our hands this morning. Again, this doctrine was brought about during the Protestant Reformation in the 1500s most clearly defined by Martin Luther, um, who began the Reformation as he went to war against the Roman Catholic Church and its false gospel. Martin Luther famously said, a simple layman armed with scripture is greater than the mightiest of Pope without it. And that reality is that this Bible before us is the keystone. This is the word of our living God, the one that we serve and the one we worship, and the one that we glorify. God's, God's word is available to us today because of the work of the saints before us. And many have died to protect it. 
And yet, I know we have not faced the sword to protect it, but God this morning is asking us to surrender our hearts and our minds to this very word. That we must give up our lives to follow what this word teaches. So this morning, I want us to begin our understanding of Sola Scriptura. I'd like us to start with a verse from Jesus in his high priestly prayer. As Christ is praying to the Father on our behalf, he said in John 17, 17, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Think about that with me for a moment, saints. Consider the implication of such a short verse. The whole of our sanctification comes from the working of God's Word and the Holy Spirit in our lives. Notice the very specific nature of this. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is truth. It is God's truth that is found in His Word. And there's no other time that we need to understand this more. As the postmodern thought begins to invade our culture and our world, the worldviews around us, the thought of truth is being manipulated. The very definition is being turned and changed into whatever man decides it to be. You look at the culture now and it's follow your truth is the going cry. Well, that's your truth. This is my truth. Saints, there is no thing outside of God's truth. Everything flows from that. And this culture would like us to believe that we can live our own truth. For one to say that I am following my own personal truth is to say to the Creator, I will live how I see fit to live. We are creatures in the Creator's world. He has a truth and He has spoken His truth and delivered it to us. To be sanctified in the truth of God's Word is to allow the Word to do what is done since the foundation of the world. It has been out in creation and creating. Jesus Christ, the Word became flesh, spoke, and it was. He breathed life into our dead souls. He spoke to the dead bones, be raised, and they were raised. God's Word is a, a, a beautiful thing to deliver us from so many wicked things. So with that, I want us to leave today, to understand today, to have a greater understanding of what God's Word is and what it is doing in our lives. I want us to leave today with a greater appreciation for and desire to be in the Word of God and to have a very high view of the Scriptures. That we would esteem the Word of God more than anything else. That we would see the Bible as perfection and containing everything necessary to walk with our God and to glorify His holy name that our desire to read God's Word would be with the intention of glorifying Him. As Jesus was with the disciples, He asked them if they wanted to leave in John 6, and Peter replied in John 6, 68, To whom shall we go, Lord? You have the, lo the words of eternal life. I want us to meditate on that for a second. Because there are so many times in this world, in our day-to-day -day life, that this world begins to drag us away from what the focus should be. 
This world gives us its lies, it spews its hatred. And really come back to what Peter said. When the world throws temptation, when the world allures us with its fancy and shiny things, look at those words of Peter. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. It is in Christ our satisfaction, our soul rejoices. To Him belongs eternal life. I think again on meditating on these things and these truths found in God's Word, it's really quite amazing that we as finite sinful beings have been given the very Word of God. That God has revealed Himself to us is a a miracle in itself. He has no need or uh, requirement to reveal Himself to us, and yet He does. We have sinned against the Holy God, and yet He speaks to us. We have spat in His face, we have uh, blasphemed His name, and yet He still speaks to us. What a grace and what a mercy our Lord has given to us in His revealed Word. Romans 10.17 So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. All of us here this morning, if you are in Christ, are the byproduct of the Word of God. Your faith is no random coincidence produced by a fallen heart choosing Christ. Our very faith is the gift of the Lord as someone has proclaimed the Gospel to us. Someone has shared with us what Christ has done and that is what God has used by His Holy Spirit to make us born again. Paul said in Romans 1.16, I'm unashamed of the Gospel for it is the power of God for salvation. We have this perfect power within our hands that has breathed life into our corpse, into our dead heart. God's Word has transformed you if you are in Christ this morning. So what do we do now? We submit to the very words of God delivered to us. By His Word, we get equipped and we build. So this morning we'll be in Matthew chapter 7. We're looking at verses 24 through 29. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn there. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 29. So I'm going to read through these verses. We'll pray and then we'll get into the text. Matthew 7, verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And then the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we come to you grateful and thankful this morning that you have given us your word, Lord, that is so easy for us to have access to it. Lord, that you've given us a bountiful amount of your word, that we have full access to the scriptures, Lord. And so, God, I pray as we go through these verses, God, that you would be glorified, that you would feed your sheep this morning. 
Lord, I pray that Christ would increase and I would decrease. God, that Your holiness would be on display through the proclamation of Your Word. Lord, You are so worthy of all praise, honor, and glory. We thank You that by Your mercy and Your grace You have called us to a salvation that is so great. Lord, I thank You for these saints before me. Lord, I pray that You would bless them. And Lord, God, I pray that at this time You would open our hearts and our minds to receive Your Word with gladness and joy. So God, go before us this day. We thank You in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus is giving this explanation of different foundations. In verses 24-25, through 25, Jesus describes for us the sufficiency of His Word to build our life upon. Uh, so as an example, I, I mean construction industry, and as a builder, the most important thing in construction is having a solid foundation to build upon. You know, that's why we use concrete and steel to make our foundations. They can withstand a beating and they can support whatever is then built on top of it. And so Jesus here is beginning to describe this man who builds a house and the wise man who builds it on the rock. Uh, Paul would describe it in Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 3.10-11 this way. He says, By the grace that God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it, but each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. As Christians, as followers of Christ, that is our starting point. That is our, our reference. That is our foundational place to begin. The Gospel and the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to recognize that this foundation is God's Word. Nothing else will suffice. Nothing else can weather the storms. If there's one thing I can urge you to do this morning, it's to become well acquainted with this Word of God, this Bible that you have in your hands. To read it and to meditate on it. To understand what it is you're standing on. Because folks, everyone stands on some kind of worldview. Everyone has a starting point. This world has philosophy, it has postmodern thought, all these different things, but everyone has a ground that they're standing on, and what you're standing on will prove what you believe. And so for us as saints, as Christians, we stand on the Word of God because that is our firm foundation. Again, with all of the lies that we encounter every day in this world, it is absolutely imperative that you are countering those things with the all-sufficient Word of God. It's easy to see these things played out in practice. I mean, we merely look out our windows, we look at the culture around us. This, co this country continues in its death spiral. It's because there is no foundation for most of the people in this country. It can change by day. It is their truth and your truth and what you believe. There is no firm foundation. There is no house to build and the house will fall. We're going to see the gospel continue to be attacked even more so than it is now. We're going to see those with itching ears being led into false doctrine and teaching. We're going to see uh, the authority and the inerrancy of the Bible being questioned continually, even more so than it is now. 
and attacked even more so than it is now. The foolishness of the world is going to be on full display even more than we see it. And that is, again, the reason why we must have this firm foundation, this understanding that the Bible alone is our, our source of truth. You can see it even beginning to creep into churches and seminaries and institutions. Every single church, seminary, and Christian institution that has fallen has done so because they have denied sola scriptura. They have said that the word of God is not authoritative and has no place in our lives. They say that the word of God can be twisted and changed to mean other things. But every institution, every church, and every seminary that has fallen has fallen because they have denied the sufficiency of scripture. And so saints, I give that to us this morning as a warning to us to take heed lest we fall as well. So we continue to build upon the foundation that is God's word. The word is the foundation and we use it to build the structure that is our life in Christ. So again, beginning to look at these verses in 7, 24 through 25, to hear these words of Christ, to be the wise man who builds himself on the rock. And when the rain comes and the winds come and the floods come, the house will stay standing. So I want to take a quick pause right there and let's turn to 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17 to begin to further understand what this word of God does in our life. 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17. And it says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be completely equipped for every good work. So Paul, writing to Timothy here, in the verses prior, he's warning of how godlessness will continue to abound in the coming days, and that people will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Sounds a little familiar for our current context. It seems to be in a spiral out of control. And it goes without saying that we have that unfolding before our very eyes. It's the removal of God's hand of restraint and the outpouring of his judgment on this nation and on this world. So Paul, writing this letter to Timothy, gives this charge to Timothy to continue on with what he has learned. The word continue is key for our understanding of building. We must continue on in the Scriptures, continue to learn. None of us have arrived. None of us have made it. There's always more to learn. Philippians 2, 12-13 says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. This continuing is not a way to earn salvation. We already know that. But it is a proof and evidence of it that we are continuing to follow the Lord, continuing to seek his wisdom. And again, like Romans 1.16 says, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. 
this powerful word does something in the heart and the mind of the believer. The building stands strong against the fiercest storms because it is grounded and built by the word of God's truth. Look with me there at the end of verse 15 in Timothy. It says, which is able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. This is the work of Scripture in us. Not to make us wise for wisdom's sake or to be boastful and proud, but to make us wise in understanding all that Christ has done for us. To know and experience your God. Again, it can seem so obvious at times, but many are deceived by this notion that they can know God apart from His Word. It is only by the Word of God that we come to know Christ. And it is only by the Word of God that we are perfected unto salvation. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to who say they know God and they've never read His Word. There is no revelation that can save outside of the Scriptures. We have the revelation of creation that is testifying to who God is. But without the Word of God, there is no salvation. Without the Gospel preached, there is no salvation. And so many will continue on in their ways and we'll see, uh, like Romans 1 says, this continue downward spiral as they worship creation instead of the Creator. Salvation and an understanding of God comes from His Word. There's no other place. Back to verse 16. It says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. All Scripture is God-breathed. If you only take one thing away from this today, it's understand that, the weight of that, that Scripture is God-breathed. Because that is powerful for us. That is our hope. That is how we can stand on the firm foundation because it is not mere mortals speaking. It is the living God who says to us, this is my word. This is my gospel. Realize the power behind the breath of God. To say that scriptures are God breathed, well, what does God's breath do? John 1 1, 3, 1 through 3 In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, Nothing was made that has been made. So when we say that the Scriptures are God-breathed, we see the power of God's Word. Look at Genesis. God spoke and it was. We were dead in our sins. God spoke and we were made alive. So to say the Scriptures are God-breathed, there's so much weight and so much power behind that simple statement. Jesus Christ being the Word incarnate. The Word in the flesh. Jesus is the Word of God. It was the Word that created all things. It was the Word that secured our salvation. God spoke and it was. How I long for us to have a, a grasp on what that means. To truly recognize the power of His Word saints, that we behold His 
power and holiness as revealed to us through his perfect word. Paul goes on to say it is profitable for teaching. To be taught by the word of God. How do you know something but to learn? How do we know something apart from being taught about it? And so we look through the word, we look through the gospels, we learn of Jesus' earthly ministry, we look to the saints that followed, who give us doctrine, who give us uh, the, the truth of the gospel. And the word of God reveals to us who God is and what he has done and how we are to serve him. Our hope and our joy is found in knowing that God's word is true and that his word does something inside of us. Be built up on the teaching of God's word this morning, saints. Look at the next part of verse 16 for reproof. The word of God will reproof us. The word reproof simply means to rebuke or to point out error. Again, going back to Jesus' prayer in the garden, he says, Sanctify them, Lord, in your word. Your word is truth. The word of God reproves us, it rebukes us, it points out where we have missed the mark, where we have fallen short, where we have sinned. And oh, how we need that rebuking in our life, saints, to allow the word of God to pierce our hearts. It's the word of God that reveals to us our vile and wretched ways. I'm sure we're all familiar with the verse in Hebrews 4, 12-13, talking of God's Word. It says, For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. The Word of God will pierce through us and show us our absolute desperation and need for Christ. Nothing is hidden from God. And His Word searches our hearts and exposes our sin for what it is. The sin inside of us all is no small infraction to God but it's the very thing that hinders our growing in sanctification and it is hated by God. We need to look no further than the cross of Christ to see just how much God hates our sin. But thanks to God that He's given us our Word that searches our hearts, that searches our minds, that reveals to us our wickedness. But here's the beautiful thing. It doesn't just leave us there. It doesn't just point the finger and expose. Look at the next part. It says, for correction. God does not just rebuke us and leave us tossed to the side of the road. By His Word, He corrects us and shows us the way. I mean, He has every right to rebuke us and just toss us Begone, wicked sinner. God has every right to do that. But He doesn't. He rebukes us, shows us the wickedness, and now we get the correction. 
Psalm 119 verse 9 says, How can a young man stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. So God offers the rebuke. He gives us the rebukes, points out the sinfulness, and then gives us the correction. Okay, how do I correct my path? Oh, I live and I abide by what your word speaks to me. God has provided for us everything necessary to correct our paths with his word and the Holy Spirit. We don't look to the philosophy of this world. We don't have to go buy the next self-help book or any other nonsense that this world would try to provide us. We simply open the word of God. We pray that by his spirit, he would correct our paths. That he would straighten our paths. Again, Psalm 119, a cry out. He says, cause me to understand the way of your precepts, that I may meditate on your wonderful deeds. The Word of God breaks us and then offers us the hope of restoration. The Word of God is the means and the cause of your sanctification and correction. Next part of that verse, verse 16, for training in righteousness. Again, we have been called to the kingdom. We've been called to share the gospel to go and proclaim. We've also been called to be trained in the righteousness of the Lord. Jesus said in John 14, 23, anyone who loves me will obey my word. My Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Not to be confused, saints, training in righteousness is obedience to God's word. We want to be trained in righteousness. It's being obedient to what God has spoken to us. Allowing the Holy Spirit to sanctify us. There's a cause of an effect in these verses. The cause, anyone who loves me will obey my word. And the effect is the Father will then come and love them and make their home with them. See, God is the initiator in this training. We are to submit to his word. Our training in righteousness is our abiding in His Word to follow Him, to know Him, and to be built up in Him. This training does something inside of us as well because, again, when the storms of this life come, and the wind comes, and the rain comes, we'll be trained to see it when it comes, to know when it's coming. Paul hinted at this in Ephesians 4, verse 14. He says, So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. The Word of God trains us up to be able to withstand the attacks of false doctrine, to be able to recognize when these things are coming towards us, when the world's philosophy might be encroaching upon our lives. It might be coming into our households. It might be coming into our families' lives. The Word of God builds us up and it strengthens us. Makes us wise to see the error of human cunning. Makes us wise to see the error of deceitful schemes 
And saints, there are many out there. There are many that would love to come into your household and wreak havoc on your families. There are many that would come to infiltrate your children's minds, to infiltrate their hearts. There are some that would come into this church and begin to sway you guys towards other doctrines. Those schemes are there. The devil has not stopped his scheming. This world has not stopped its plotting in vain. And so the Word of God strengthens us. It trains us in righteousness to be able to be laser-focused. The best way to spot a counterfeit is to study the real thing. And so as we grow in the Word of God, we're easy. it's a lot more easy to recognize when these false doctrines come at us. When the cunningness of this world comes at us because we have the truth to compare it to. And finally, in verse 17, it says, complete and equipped for every good work. And this is what the meaning of God's Word being sufficient is. Everything pertaining to our life in Christ is found in His Word. Nothing else can achieve these things in us. Nothing else can equip us. Nothing else can give us a solid foundation in which to build upon. Nothing else can complete us. The Word of God sustains and is a part of every block in our spiritual homes. There is no foundation and there is no home without the Word of God as our foundation and our starting point. So with that, let's go back to Matthew 7, having this understanding of what the Word of God does. Matthew 7. And again, Jesus here describing these two homes being built, the wise man and the foolish man. So Matthew 7, look at verse 26. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. My plea before you today, not only for you, but for myself, is that we would not be this foolish man. We would not be this foolish man who heard the words of Christ and opted for the beach house. Opted for the house that was built on the sand. But that we be those who heard it and built on the solid rock. See, the sand here is everything that opposes the words of Christ. The sand here is the pleasures of this world, the offerings of this world. Sand here is the philosophy of this world, the thought and idea of this world. The sand here is the very thing that will erode your walk with the Lord. So our call here is to see to it that we're excavating any sand that might have creeped into our foundations. And really take a second, and what, what foundation are you building on? What foundation have you built on? Examine that. Hear this warning from Christ. The house of the foolish will fall, and it will be a great fall. And none of us 
or without having that temptation to build on the sand. And this is not just a home being destroyed here as Jesus gives this parable. It's a soul being condemned to eternal death and damnation. Hell awaits the foolish man who desires to build on any foundation other than the words of Christ. This word of God that we have in our hands this morning is mighty to save, but it is also mighty to bear judgment on those who suppress the truth and those who go in their rebellion and continue in their rebellion. Again, like I said, each one of us is standing on something. Each one of us has a ground below us that then builds our worldview and how we view things around us. God has created everything. We can all agree and amen to that, correct? God has also spoken to us. We can all agree to that. God has also defined how His world is to be and nothing can change that. And so when we stand on the biblical foundation, I'll use this example of God created them male and female. That's our starting point. This is what God has said. That is the word of God, the truth. That is what we stand on. This world comes over here and starts to say, well, you can change this and you can change this. You can change that. Where's the end to that? Because folks, it seems like the science and the philosophies, they change by the week. Every day it's something new. Every day it's an attack. And, and don't take it personally. It's an attack against God. It's blaspheming His creative order. It's blaspheming His creation. And so we see Romans 1 played out right before our very eyes as this world serves the creature, as this world serves and follows creation and does not look to the Creator. And so we have confidence because when we speak what God's Word says, it's authoritative. It's a solid ground to stand on. It's not going anywhere. It hasn't changed and it never will change. So when someone comes to you and says anything that goes against God's Word and would attempt to distract you or attempt to make you question or doubt, what are you going to go to? What are you going to stand on in that moment? Are you going to allow that philosophy, that idea to distract you? Or are you going to say, nope, God's Word says this, and that's what I'm going to stand on. And as for me and my house, this is what we're going to believe. Because folks and saints, it's going to come at you from every angle. They're going to give you lies and they're going to give you these little things to try to tempt you and to try to distract you and try to make you question, did God really say it? It all goes back to the garden. The first thing Satan did was get them to doubt, did God really say that? All about worldview. Do you believe what this word says? Do I believe what this word says? Am I going to base my life and how I view everything around me off of this, or am I going to look to the philosophies of this world? Because those things are going to change every single day. And that's going to be the waves and the wind beating against your house, and your house will fall. The schemes and the cunningness. I mean, I've spoken with some atheists and like to sound lofty and so smart and educated. And, 
well, and the biology says this and this and this, and you have evolution, all these different theories. It's all simple. If you break it down, it's going against what God said. I think we can become at times intimidated by talking to someone who's a lot smarter than us. They come at us with, you know, the biological evidence of evolution. And you become afraid almost. It's really simple, saints. We go back and say, well, Genesis 1, God created. That's how you answer objections. That's how you answer when falsities come towards you. It's very simple. What has God said? And the more that you know what God has said, the stronger you'll be able to stand against those kinds of attacks. When God's word is our sole infallible rule of faith for all of things, life is so much sweeter. And you're strengthened and built up in that righteousness. Again, this word is mighty to save. It is also mighty to build your life upon. Look at verses, uh, verse 28 here in Matthew 7. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Jesus taught with authority. John 6, verse 63, says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. And the words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Christian, how do you receive God's word? Do you receive it as authoritative? Because again, this world would like to suggest to us, even some of the bigger seminaries and uh, different denominations like to suggest to us that this word is a good opinion. Or this is God's suggestion to us. Or this is just a good teaching. But saints, this morning, this is the Word of God. And it is authoritative to everyone. None can flee its judgments and none can flee its blessings. God's Word does not return void. Think about that for a second. God's Word does exactly as He intends it. Uh, does exactly what he intends it to do. So we proclaim the gospel to someone and they deny it. I thought God's word is the power of salvation. It's also the power of judgment. It's also the power that condemns. God's word is authoritative and we must receive it as such. The gospel is not a suggestion. It is a command for all men everywhere to repent and have faith in Christ. I'll close with this verse in Ecclesiastes, verse, uh, chapter 12, verses 13 through 14. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including everything hidden, whether it is good or it is evil. That is the truth, saints, of what is going to take place. And our duty is to fear God and keep His commandments. And what a joy that is to follow that. This is why we must see God's Word as the sole infallible rule of faith. 
that it is perfect and it is authoritative, that it is God-breathed. Sola Scriptura is not just a fancy-sounding word, but it is a recognition of the power of God's Word in your life, in the life of the church, in the life of your family, in the life of this world. I don't care if you don't remember the word Sola Scriptura after today. That's not the point. What I want you to have is an understanding of the power of this word that you have. The Bible alone is our foundation. Christ is our cornerstone. The Holy Spirit is our guide. And God the Father, our assurance. Let us pray, saints.